We're going to look at Matthew 48, Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, uh, which says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I preached on this last week and uh, really just gave an extended introduction to this whole topic. And uh, if you weren't here last week, um, it would be good for you to maybe listen to that online um, just to get a sense of of background to it. But we, we were really seeing that when Jesus says in verses 44 and 45, um, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's not asking us to do that in order to earn any sonship, but just to outwork our sonship, to show who we really are. This is who we really are. We are God's sons. And uh, we show that to, to the world by loving our enemies. God wants us to live our lives like this. And he will help us do it by giving us the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, Jesus speaks about being the vine. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be more fruitful. And then he goes in verse 4, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the importance of remaining in, in Jesus, in the, in the vine. And he, he goes on and says that, but then later on he starts speaking about, in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. And then he goes on later on to speak about, My command is this, love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The whole context of that passage is Jesus saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in the vine. And as you remain in the vine, you're going to be able to love each other. You can love because I have loved you. You're receiving love from me and therefore you can give out love to others. The Father loves Jesus. Therefore, Jesus loves the disciples. And if they remain in that love, they can show it to each other and beyond, show it to the world. Let's have a look in a bit more detail then at what Jesus is talking about and teaching in this passage about loving our enemies. Um, Once again, Jesus is beginning by quoting what has been heard. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Once again, it's a misquote. It's a misquote of Old Testament law. And the law that it was misquoting is, Leviticus, is in Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Leviticus 19 and verse 18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's where Jesus speaks about loving your neighbor. But Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And, and that's kind of how it often got interpreted. People heard it said, 
and taught in the Old Testament, love your neighbor. So they thought, all right, well, that's who we're to love then. We're to love our neighbor. And they took that to mean people who were like them. Love those who are like us, other, other Israelites, others of God's people. Love your neighbor, therefore hate your enemy. But the Old Testament doesn't say that. So in some circles, apparently around the Dead Sea, there was a saying that went around saying, love the brothers, hate the outsiders. And this was kind of what had been carried forward even through to Jesus' day. And some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were saying that they were righteous were teaching some of this. And Jesus is saying, well, you might have heard that being said, but that's not what I'm teaching you. And that's actually not what God is teaching you in, in the Old Testament. It's not love your brothers, hate the people outside. We can see that in, in some forms of so-called Christianity, can't we, uh, today? How people are, there's a hatred being expressed um, towards outsiders, towards people who don't love God. It seems like there's hatred being shown to them rather than love. I know that there was a, I didn't see it this time, but I know there was a Louis Theroux um, TV program on this week where he revisited, I think, um, you know, a, a church in America which seemed to be hating people who didn't love God. And people can see that that's what Christians are about. They can think, well, that's what Christians do. They're all right if you're a Christian, but if you're not, then, then it's just hatred that's being shown. Jesus is saying, no, I love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love those who aren't for you. So who is it that we are to love? Well, the question, who is my neighbor, if, Jesus, uh, if, the, if the verse in, in Leviticus says, love your neighbor, who is my neighbor is key, isn't it? And it's the verse, and it's the question that the lawyer asked in Luke 10.29. In Luke 10.29, there was an expert in the law who came up to test Jesus and asked what he should do to live, have, inherit eternal life. Uh, Jesus said, well, what's in the law? The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, well, okay then. You know, because this guy was trying to trick him trick Jesus, and so, and so Jesus is saying, well, there's your answer. So the man wanted to justify himself, because he'd been shown up that he was, he was tricking Jesus. So he says to Jesus, so who's my neighbor? Good question. Good question. Who is my neighbor? Because that will answer, who do we love? And most people, and Jesus obviously goes on and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, many of us will know the story of the Good Samaritan, the man who lies beaten up um, robbed, um, uh, lying on the side of the road, and the um, two people walk by. A priest walks by, passes by on the other side. The Levite walks by, passes by on the other side. And then the Samaritan comes, bandages him up, takes pity on him, has compassion on him, puts him on a donkey, takes him to an inn, pays to make sure that he's taken care of. And most people think, even in reading this passage, that Jesus was saying, well, that's who you should love. You should love your enemies. Well, actually, Jesus, Jesus wasn't even in that passage saying, love the Samaritans. Jesus actually turned it around, doesn't he? In verse 36, he says, which of these three... <laughs> Apologies for the voice. <laughs> I'm amusing myself. Which of these three... I'm not going to listen to the tape. Which of these three <coughs> do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of... Of robbers. In other words, he was saying, what does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to act like a neighbor? 
And the answer was given by the teacher. It means to have compassion on others. Jesus didn't want to particularly answer the question, who is my neighbor? He didn't want to say, well, it's this person or this person or this person. He was saying, well, look, here's someone. What, he was acting as a neighbor. What does it mean to act as a neighbor? The shocking thing in that story, in that parable, isn't that Jesus is saying, love your enemies, even the Samaritans, but that it's the Samaritan who's able to show love where God's people weren't. God's people passed by on the other side, and it was the Samaritans who were able to show love in this story. But God is making us to be a people who show love to our enemies, who show love to the world. It sums up the promises of the new covenant that Ezekiel uh, speaks about in Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel 37 and verse um, 25... He says, they will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They, they and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, I think I've got the wrong passage there. <laughs> it's quite a good passage. But <laughs> it's not the one I was looking for. Well, Unless I have got the right passage there. Because Arnold said to me last time I did that, he said, no, you have got the right passage. It's actually Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Quick change. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave my for, your forefathers, forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is who Jesus is making us into. This is what was promised in Ezekiel. The people of God. The people who will have their pure impurities and sin cleansed and forgiven. A new heart, a new spirit. A heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Moving in the power of the Spirit. This is who we are. This is who God has made us into being. So when we come to Matthew 5 and read about Jesus saying, love your enemies, we can have confidence that God is making us into these people who are able to have compassion on others simply because we've been given the heart of God and the Spirit of God. So who are our enemies? Well, Jesus highlights a few different categories that might indicate to us who our enemies are in Matthew 5. Um, for example, in verse 44, he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So our enemies could be those who persecute us. For Jesus' hearers at the time, it would have been the occupying Romans, those who the Jewish people were expecting Jesus to come in and defeat, actually. Those people who were living and occupying the land. And this is big stuff. You know, they were, they were desperate to see the Romans kicked out of, of their land, God's land. These Romans are the enemies. They shouldn't be there. They'd been praying for a Messiah to come. And now here he is, Jesus. And instead of coming at them with a sword and a great army to take them on, he says, love your enemies. Love those and pray for those who persecute you. What? What? 
You mean the Romans? Is that who you're meaning? Yeah. It's big. If you're a Christian in, in Libya, I don't know how many Christians are in Libya, but if you're a Christian in Libya, you're called to love and pray for those who fight against you, who kill your family, who allegedly, like this woman, rape you and then arrest you for coming and telling the world's media. We're to love those who take away our homes. We're to love those who sack us from our jobs because of our relationship with Jesus. We're to love those who bully us or persecute us at school or college because we love God. Pray for those who persecute you. That's who our enemies are. Also, the unrighteous in verse 45, Jesus talks about God causing the sun to rise on the evil and good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous are our enemies in this context. Those who make life hard for us, those who don't live godly lives. Maybe our boss at work who keeps unfairly giving us things to do. Maybe neighbours who keep us up all night or are just antagonistic towards us. It could even be people in our families, our unsaved mum and dad maybe, who really don't like the fact that we're going along to church meetings and have given our life to God and that that God has superseded uh, them in, in your affections. Maybe rebellious children who don't seem to be living a life that you want them to live and they're just rebelling against you all the time. Perhaps for some people it's even a husband and wife. The unrighteous could be seen as our enemies in some of the ways they're acting towards us. Jesus is saying, love your enemies. And verse 46 and 47, where Jesus is talking about if you love those who only love you, what, what good is that? So therefore, those who don't love us, those who don't seem to love us, those who offend us, or dishonor us, or hurt our feelings, or anger us, or disappointers or frustrators. Loving our enemies means loving all these people. Loving them and keep on loving them. Why? Why do we love them? Why is Jesus saying love your enemies? Well, he's saying love your enemies because we're God's children and we're reflecting the character of God. Yes, Satan has, has fooled the world right from the first temptation where Adam And Eve gave in to the temptation to rebel against God, to live lives of sin. Satan has constantly fooled people into living lives of sin. People are living lives opposed to God and opposed to those of us who love God. And we must be concerned to rescue them. We must do everything we can to see them saved because that's what God did. That's what the Father did. He saw a world full of sin and arrogance and rebellion, and he sent his son, Jesus, to save it. And we're in the benefit of that ourselves. We can only forgive others because we've known God's forgiveness. And we can only love our enemies because we have known God's love for us whilst we were still enemies of God. That's why we love others, because we know we're we're totally in the seat of that love ourselves. There's no other way we can do it. Jesus doesn't ask us to love people so we can make friends with them. We're not even asked to like them. We're asked to love them, to show the love of God 
to them through us. If we don't live like that, actually, it doesn't do us any good. Then our lives are just controlled by other people and what they do to us. We're just victims of whatever happens to us in our lives. We're just victims of whatever people do to us. We might be walking down the street perfectly happy and we come across someone who is antagonistic towards us, who doesn't like us, and we, and we just feel bad inside. Oh, life was going, there was going so well until I saw that person and now, oh no, it's all gone downhill. People sometimes say, oh, you know, you made me feel like this. You ma- it, was, it was you who made me feel like this by what you did. We can be controlled by other people and at the mercy of what other people are doing if we don't live a life of love. Christ says, your love must become such that you're no longer controlled by what people say and do to you. Your life should be governed by love, by my love for others. So how? How do we love people? Well, we pour out the love of God that is poured into our hearts. Romans 5, verse 5, tells us that God has poured his love out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It says, hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God's poured his love into our hearts. As we come to God, recognizing his great love for us, And that we're rebellious. As we turn to him and give our lives to him and say we're going to follow you, he pours that love into our hearts. He gives us the Holy Spirit. It fills us. And even when we don't feel like being loving, even when we don't feel good towards this other person who is our enemy, who we see as our enemy, then we can still show love because we've received love. Because this love of God is in our hearts. I mean, Paul explains what love means in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, that fantastic passage which is often read at marriages, 1 Corinthians 13, speaking about just what love is like. In verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. All of these qualities about love, which we can read just in that that passage on its own, out of context, but where does Paul put it? Where does Paul put these verses about what love is? He puts it right in between two chapters, talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about the spiritual gifts that we've got. And he's saying, actually, you know, it's great to have spiritual gifts. God's poured out his Holy Spirit into our hearts, but he's also poured out his Holy Spirit so that we can love. And this is what love is about. This is what love is. It's not a coincidence, because there's a link between the Holy Spirit and love. And as we live our day-to-day lives in the reality of every day, when we're coming up against people who we feel are are, are like our enemies, who feel they're not for us, they're against us, they're actively opposed to us, 
then it's this love that God has poured out into our hearts, which the Holy Spirit enables us to pour out to others. So let's get practical. How? How do we love our enemies? Well, according to this passage, it could be just as simple as greeting them. In verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Greeting people, saying hello to them. Actually, it can be very powerful because if you see someone you don't like, or who doesn't like you, more pertinently, if someone doesn't like you and you see them, there can be a tendency to avoid them. You know, let's cross the road. Let's make sure, let's hope they don't see us. I've spotted them. I'm going to try and hide from them in the supermarket behind the aisles. Oh, I want to see them. Or actually to, to come up and say, oh, hi, how are you doing? It can be a powerful thing. I play squash at the local squash club down here. And uh, most people there are, are, are great, get on well with them. There was one guy very early on in, in my time at the, at the squash club. And I was refereeing a match that he was playing in. I, I wasn't really used to refereeing a m- matches. I, I probably made a, a number of mistakes. But he didn't like one of the decisions that I made. And uh, he faced me off about it. He was, he was really vicious about it. Now, you know, when people, when people are playing sport, things get heated. And I, I understand that. But this guy, every time he saw me from then on, for several years, would be antagonistic towards me. He would swear at me. He would call me all sorts of things. He remembered this one point. It's not even like he was a good player. But... <laughs> You lost the Anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> I'm not living this out very well, am I? <laughs> Let's take opportunity just to really have a go at this guy. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, you know, he would have a go at me because he remembered it. And I would, I would actively hide from him. I seriously would hide from him. If I saw him in the club, I would, I would go the other way because I just didn't want it. I just didn't want it. And, you know, if he was in the changing rooms, I was like, oh, no. So I'd, I'd, like, get changed at the other end of the changing rooms, just in case he saw me. And then one day, I just thought, this is no good. I'm just going to be up front with him and, and just talk to him. So I did. I said, oh, hi, how are you doing? And he looked shocked. What? Oh, yeah, I'm all right. I said, oh, are you okay? He'd just finished a game. I just finished a game. I said, um... Are you going down to the bar? Can I get you a drink? What? He was absolutely flabbergasted. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I got him a drink. And he was all right with me from then on. Just saying hello. Not hiding. Actually, it can have a big effect on people. And it frees you up too. It freed me up from hiding from someone. Ridiculous. It was affecting my life. God's love, just saying hello, can free things up. So saying hello, greeting them. By meeting their physical needs, helping them. God, it says God causes his sun and rain to come on the righteous and the unrighteous. God helps people with their physical needs. That was a, that was a situation where there would be a lot of um, crops being grown. It would be very important for rain to come. 
So physically, the rain needed to come for the crops to grow. And God sends his rain even on the unrighteous. So we can help people, we can show God's love for them by meeting their physical needs. By actually helping them when they're in need of help. I saw a... uh, It was just before I came out to the meeting today. I I saw a post on Facebook, on my Facebook page, which intrigued me. And uh, someone who who was one of my Facebook friends... um, uh, who isn't a Christian, saw this, and he made, a, he made a link to it, and he said, oh, I thought this was just another... Um, what did he say? I copied it down. He said, I, I, I thought this was just another God-botherer God PR vid, but it's pretty cool. So I thought, I wonder what that's about then. So I clicked on it, and it was a story which was very relevant to, to this. It was a kind of modern-day Good Samaritan story, really, um, and it was set in America, a true story, uh, in this baseball match uh, with um, sort of college students' baseball match. And there was a top-of-the-league match, these two teams, it was the deciding game. And they had to, whoever won would win the league. And uh, because it was her final year, there was this girl called, um, uh, what was she called? She was called Sarah. And it was Sarah's last ever game. She'd never hit a home run before. A home run is where you smack the ball and it like flies out over the boundaries. And everyone can get round and get a point. So it was like major, major score. Um, she'd never hit one before. And it was her last ever game. And she hit a home run in the second innings. And everyone's going, yeah, amazing. She's hit a home run. And people, the people ahead of her came round. And then everyone's thinking, well, where is she? She's not come round. And she'd got to first base, and as she'd gone to first base, her leg had twisted, and, her, and she'd pulled ligaments in her knee. And so she's collapsed on first base in agony, holding on to first base. And people are looking around thinking, well, what happens? Because when you hit a home run, you can just go round and you get the points. But she wasn't going round. And so the coach says to the umpire, well, can we help her round? He says, no, if you help her, if any of your team touch her, she'll be out. She's got to get around herself. Otherwise, it doesn't count. So people, what what happens? At that point, a girl called Mallory, who was actually the top scorer, had hit more home runs than anyone, but was on the opposing team, said, well, can we carry her around? And, and her get it score. And the umpire's like, well, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you can. It's, it's only her team who can't. And so Mallory and another girl from the opposing team picked her up and carried her around all the bases. Every time they got to a base, they put her foot, because she had to touch the base. And they carried her all the way around, and she scored the home run. And her team won the game. And won the league. I wouldn't say she was her enemy, but she was the opposing team. But she was meeting physical needs. I didn't get a chance to find out whether Mallory was a Christian or not, because I, I, I wanted to find out and research it, but it was just before I came out. But it, it, whether, it, whether she was or not, that's what Jesus is talking about. Loving people, practically meeting their physical needs. You know, often we can... We can see someone who we don't like, 
who we think, they've, had it, they've been vindictive to me for years. And we can inwardly fuel this delight when they're struggling with something. We can think, oh great, they're finally struggling with something. It's about time. And we can feel pleased. And God says, that's not how you should feel. As my people, I don't want you to have that attitude. I don't want you to have that attitude. He says to us in Romans 12, and verse 19, well, from verse 18, he's, uh, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of anybody, everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you see someone who is struggling, don't just go, ha, well, they're finally getting their just desserts. Oh, this must be God's judgment on them. God's saying, no, I will judge. I will come and judge everyone at the appointed time. But now is the time when I am graciously leaving it for people to come and repent. I have sent my son to show my love to the world. And that is what I'm wanting to show to the world at the moment. My love. So people will come and repent. And so, yes, there's a world where good things will happen and bad things will happen. And they'll happen to everyone. Don't assume that this is God's judgment on these people. God's judgment will come. God's saying, when you see someone who is hungry, feed him. Don't just think it's right that they're hungry. When you see someone who's thirsty, give him something to drink. Show my love to the world. Help them to repent. At least cause them to be convicted. Because that could happen. Because people will know how they've lived their lives. People will know what attitudes they have. And if you meet that with love instead of evil, that can bring conviction in people's hearts. And repentance and knowledge of God. And Jesus says, love your enemies by praying for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. That can be such a powerful way to change our hearts as well. If you're struggling with someone in your life, pray for them. Pray for them. Again, it will set you free from the things which tie you up. And it, and it will help them because you're praying for their salvation. And God may save them. God may save them. Jesus on the cross was facing all sorts of insults and persecution, people dividing his clothes up, people taunting him. If you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? You save other people, why can't you save yourself? And Jesus' response in Luke 23, verse 34 was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even as he said that, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus didn't repay evil with evil. He prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them. He knew that's why he was on the cross. So that his father would forgive those who hate 
God. And he says, Father, forgive them. He wanted the best for them. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the agony of the cross for the joy set before him. Terry was talking about this last night. There's reward in this. Jesus knew there was a reward coming. We can know that too. As we, for, as we love people, as we forgive people, as we demonstrate and show God's love for them, we're rewarded in heaven. And we're enabled to do it in God's power. God loved rebellious sinners so much that he sent his son to die for them. That's what he did. Romans 5 verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says that's how God demonstrates his own love for us. And Jesus is saying in verse 46 of this passage, you know, you're not going to get this reward if you don't love your enemies. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? There's no reward for that. Everyone does that. Everyone loves people who love them. In fact, the world works on a pattern of reciprocal love. You help someone out, and they help you back. You invite someone for a meal, and they feel, I've got to invite you back for a meal. You send a Christmas card to someone, and they'll send you one back. In fact, an experiment was done on this, where someone sent a load of Christmas cards out to just random strangers they put, picked out of the phone book, and they got loads back. Yeah, oh, Merry Christmas. No one, no one even said in the Christmas cards, by the way, who are you? Do I know you? Oh, they've sent me a Christmas card. I'll send one back. <laughs> That's how the world works. We repay love with love. Someone does us a favor, we do something back. We, it's, it's, it's turned upside down in God's kingdom. Because as his people, we love those who don't love us. We show love to those who only show anger and animosity and hatred. And we show love. And it stops people in their tracks. What? What's that about? Because in the world, it's just repay love for love. Jesus says even the tax collectors, the lowest of the low, they have friends. If we only love our friends, we know better than them. How are we different from the rest of the world if we only greet each other? And that's a, that's a serious question. How are we different from anyone? If when we're in place, what, what about when we go places where maybe there are some, some of us and some people we don't know who are unbelievers? Who, who do we talk to? Who do we spend time with? Because Jesus is saying, if you only greet those who you know, what different is that to anyone else? That's what everyone does. Everyone gathers in the groups of people that they know. If you go to a party and there are some church people there and some other people there who you don't know and you only speak to the people you know, what good's that? There's no reward in that. If you go to, um, I don't know, what other, what other examples? Well, in a Sunday meeting here, maybe there's someone here you don't know but you think, oh, I don't know, I'm a bit nervous about talking to them. I'll just talk to the people I'm comfortable with. What good is that? If you go along to something like mini kids, where there may be church people there with their kids, and other people from the community there with their kids, and you only speak to the people from church, what good is that? Everyone does that. Let's show love to people who we don't know. We're not to stoop to the low standards of society, but we're to lift our eyes 
and embrace the kingdom values God is bringing in. Brothers and sisters, we are children of God. Let's commit ourselves today to being children of our Father in heaven. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because he first loved us. God takes the initiative. It's impossible before we know this love, but once we know it, it's perfectly possible. In fact, if someone says, how can I love someone more? The answer is, get to know God's love more. Immerse yourself more in God's love, because as we know God's love for us, we can love others. And this is the situation as we look out at the world today. There are still many enemies of God. And therefore, if we're God's children, we'll have many enemies. Jesus has already said in this passage, in in Matthew 5, there will be persecution. Blessed are you who are persecuted. We're looking out at a world filled with hatred and anger and revenge and destruction and evil. But our prayer needs to be, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus' love for them made a way for them to come to know him. Our love for our enemies, as we show it, is a clear signpost to that greater love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross 2,000 years ago. Someone once showed us that love. Someone once demonstrated that love to us. And if you can't think of a person, well, you know that God did. God showed his love for us, and we recognized it that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were living lives which were only concerned about ourselves. We didn't care about God or others. We were rebellious against God. But God revealed his love in our hearts and turned us around and won us to him. So let's show others his love for them. Because we know his love. And we have his spirit in us. So we can. So let's. Let's pray.